Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in. Let me tell you what you're about to listen to. Well, let me back up. Let me tell you about an athlete, an activist named Colin Kaepernick. I first knew about Colin Kaepernick as an athlete. He was the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers at the beginning of the 2010s, I think. He played for half a decade, five or six seasons, quarterback, really good quarterback, so fun watching him play, brought the 49ers to Super Bowl, was really good at kind of the combination of being a pocket passer and knowing when to scramble if there was nothing there, made plays, kept the play alive, very difficult to sack wouldn't wouldn't um, make you know those bad decisions where a lot of quarterbacks just try to force it. It was always just really good to to watch him play and I didn't really know much about him and then one day he knelt during the national anthem at the start of a game. so football, just like a lot of other sports at the beginning of the game, they play the national anthem and he took a knee. And a lot of people got upset. Some people didn't know why. And he later shared that he took a knee during the national anthem as a way of protesting against uh, racial injustice, racial inequality, police brutality. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth, but that's my understanding of what he was protesting. And of course, just like a lot of things in our country, uh, that was in 2016. So I'm, I'm sharing this at the end of 2021, transitioning about to be 2022. So five or six years ago, and our country was, and of course still is pretty polarized, very polarized. And so there were so many responses to this. And hopefully, you listened, and you didn't just listen to your preferred news channel, but you actually tried to pay attention to what was going on. And you know, I'm not going to get into uh, any of the, th- the other theories that I've heard or any of the other comments that I've heard outside of what Colin Kaepernick has said. If you don't even know what I'm talking about, you should you should look it up. But if you would look up a, a trusted source that isn't normally fueled by uh, clickbait, shock news, that kind of stuff. And I just remember at first not really understanding, and then reading and listening. And realizing that the idea of protesting against police brutality, racial inequality, 
racial injustice. This is something that has gone on for quite some time without the changes being made that they're protesting about. Now, during the civil rights movement in the 1960s, there were some changes that were made, but they were made for a large, in a large way because of the protests, but there were still other changes that weren't made that still need to be made. And it seems as if that's what Colin Kaepernick was trying to draw attention to, and it cost him his career, his, his football career. He lost his job as a football player. Hopefully you've kept up with this. If not, go, go online and read about what he's really saying. Okay, fast forward to this past year. Well, maybe last year, year and a half, two years ago. Something very distinct about a police officer kneeling his knee down on the neck of a black man and killing him and murdering him. All of a sudden, the symbol and the image of someone with their knee down, more attention. So then this year, Netflix releases a show with a season with episodes called Colin in Black and White. And I don't really know what you call it if it's a docu-series or a... So it's, it's actually Colin Kaepernick narrating, and you see his face, and he's telling his story. And when he's referring to his childhood, then it goes into... You see scenes from his childhood and his actors portraying you know, his, him and his family and his friends, etc., I don't know what genre you call that, but it's 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 based on his childhood. It's him narrating about his life, and then actors are portraying that. And it's like if you don't have Netflix yet, I would encourage you to get Netflix just so you can watch this. Netflix, if you're listening, totally sponsor things about things. Let's let's chat about that. And so my friend Raheem Andrews and I, we sat down and we watched episode one together and we're going to continue to do this where we sit down, we, we watch an episode and then we talk about it. Raheem was raised in Boone. He lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina before moving to Boone and he spent his teen years in Boone and went away and went to college in Charlotte and then came back in this last summer, a year and a half ago, he he organized a justice rally in downtown Boone, and a, a thousand or more of us uh, walked the streets of downtown Boone, and, and Rahim, as, as a young man, a young leader, saying some things to us that I remember him saying, uh, he wanted to share some things with us that not so much what we want to hear, but that we need to hear. And Rahim was part of the church that I was a part of at the time. And we're friends. And 
I just thought it might be helpful to listen to a young black man share his response to watching Colin in black and white. So I prompt him with some questions. I share some things, how I felt, but really wanted to hear how he would respond. And he, as I imagined it would be, he responded and noticed some things that I didn't notice. And so maybe if you haven't watched this yet, I'd encourage you, before you listen to our conversation, press pause on this, on me, right now. Go watch episode one, season one of Colin in Black and White. It's called Cornrows. Colin in Black and White, season one, episode one, Cornrows. Watch it, then circle back and listen to Raheem and myself talk about it. I hope you learned something, as I know I did. How do you want to do this? Just kind of go in order of what the episode and what how it hit you? Yeah, sure. I think the um, the first thing that hit me in episode one would definitely be uh, the NFL being compared to slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I really viewed it as you are useful to them until you aren't anymore. Right. Whether that be socially or physically. Like, Colin Kaepernick obviously was a social reason because he had a lot left in his career, probably still does today, better than, like, the Houston Texans quarterback or, like, things like that where he could definitely play football, but socially he doesn't fit their agenda, so you're gone. Right. If you blow out your knee, you're gone. Like, so I think that was probably what hit me most there was... um seeing that compared to slavery because I'd never thought of that before. Yeah, I wrote down power dynamic. That's mm-hmm. one of the phrases that he used that stood out. It's it is it's established early on. Yeah, for sure. Even and I wrote this down for future because when he got into high school and everything, but um even as like a high school athlete at locally at Watauga High School. And I see my little cousin coming up, and he's in eighth grade right now, but he just played football for the middle school. He did amazing, had a great season, but he didn't even start at the beginning of the year. Like, it was a lot of the same things that were happening to myself. If your last name's not, I won't say the last name. Certain last names. Certain last names get benefits, get a scholarship to Appalachian State that they don't deserve, in a sense. So happy for the kid for getting there, yeah. but there are better kids there, but their last name isn't there. So, I mean, seeing that as an eighth grade kid, like, why is my little cousin coming off of the bench 
when he is by far, everyone can see it in the stands, the best athlete on the team. You so know? I've never seen him play. So you're not just, you said it's your little brother? Little cousin. Cousin. So you're not just being like an uncle that is like, no, man, it's, he's my family. So yeah. I think it's the best. You're saying everyone knows. Exactly. Because like he plays basketball too. And he's one of those football players that shouldn't play basketball. And I'll say straight up that he's not good at basketball, but he has potential to be good one day. But football, that's his thing. Like he's yeah. very good. And as soon as they put him in and started running, he played running back. I remember you posting some stories on Instagram. Yeah, right? he it's killed it. Like, this yeah. kid had like 20 touchdowns this year. Like, he was killing <laughs> it. But then it also, like, gave me a little allegory because he wants to be a quarterback. Um, but this coach is saying, you're a running back. And thinking of it as the way as a running back in the NFL, if you see it, running backs have four years of prime before. Yeah. Because they're beat up so heavily. And they ran Kyle every single play. You know, in the sense of getting back to that slavery thing. We're going to use you. You're a workhorse until you get hurt. And we're like, ah, who's next? Exactly. Uh So That's definitely what I think the groomed for the system thing really stuck out to me there. Because he's being groomed. He's going to be loved at Wataga. You know, because he's a football player and he's good at football. But, but only, possibly, and sad, sadly, maybe only as he, what he can produce, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if he has a bad game. Or oh, hurts his do, knee. Exactly. Do we still love him, you know? And it's sad. And that's the same thing that I went through at Wataga. Because I skipped my senior year of basketball. I focused more on school. It wasn't my choice. My parents' <laughs> choice. But, right. um, I mean, it set me up for college, which was nice. But, you know, I was playing basketball and, like, you know, at the top of it, and then, like, don't play basketball, uh, Raheem's just, you know, there, you know, which is fine. I mean, I, I didn't really care for that type of, like, attention in high school or anything, but I think being groomed for the system is such a thing that you see from when kids are peewees all the way up to when, if they get to go pro, you know? But I think this is a truth that transcends race, and what I mean is, your identity isn't based on what you do and what you can produce. Mm. But then when you add that filter of race, right. I see, I'm a big fan of the phrase, uh, the medium is the message. Mm. Episode one was called cornrows. Mm-hmm. First thing you see is Colin grew his hair out, probably not just for the show, but I mean, you see, okay, this is a show called Colin in Black and White. Mm-hmm. The first episode is about, well, titled about hair. There's mm. a lot of, in, of stuff about hair in the episode. And you see big, long, high hair, that is part of the message of episode one, or maybe the whole series, but episode one is like, I'm going to, I know who I am, and I'm going to be who I am. Because if you see him early San Francisco career, short hair. Yep. Probably, I mean, I I know there's more to why you make a decision about hair than just something like that, but um, I, I feel like the 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 statement and the image and even the image they use on Netflix it's just him with his high hair and it's saying something really strong I agree because I mean Colin Kaepernick has the leverage and the freedom to do that but within the black community that's an unwritten rule especially for black men like I have to be clean cut in corporate America I can't have an afro like Colin Kaepernick and expect to kind of climb the ranks the way I want to 
you know, and that's a thing that I talk to my mentor often about like, hey, does this hinder me? Hey, does this hinder me? Hey, does this hinder me? But more so thinking of how am I going to change it when I get to those positions of power to make it more inclusive? Because like hair culture is a big thing, especially with black women, like they can't have braids and they can't do this, can't do that. Like neither can men. There's no way I get my job if I have dreads, you know, like there's. Let's talk about that because I feel like since the episode is called cornrows. Yeah. Let's talk about this, this theme more because I could, I can imagine someone pushing back on that and saying anyone early on in their career probably can't just wear their hair long and do whatever they want with their hair. Yeah. How is it different when it comes to, in particular, like what you were saying, black men? Well, you also mentioned women, but let's start with black men. How is it different if someone, if as a white male exactly your age, wouldn't mm. they just say, well, I can't grow my hair long either in my career? How, is it, how does it to you feel different? Um, I think it feels different because... I see that it's different. I've seen it since I were a kid, and my parents have always told me that I'm going to have to work four times as hard to have half of what someone who's my same age, same degree, might have, but different skin color than me. So I think from an early early age, I knew the work ethic that I was going to have to bring to the table, and I when I think of getting a job, I want to make sure there is no reason in your mind that you might uh, disqualify me just for, like, purely based off of my Mm -hmm. academic background, what I've done accomplishment-wise. That's great and all. But I don't want to give you a reason externally for you to say, ah, Raheem's not the one, you know? Yeah. And I think it's different because... I have no leverage, and not saying someone fresh out of college going into the workforce has leverage, but I literally have nothing to stand on. I mean, on my individual team that I'm on right now, I think there's, I'm the only black, no, there's one other black man that works with me, but I mean, out of, I think there's 12 of us, maybe 15, um, it's me and him. And, uh, I mean, we're both clean cut and I would love to talk to him about like, Hey, what do you think would happen if I got dreads here? Yeah. There's not a dress code at our job, but it's just an unwritten rule for black people that like, you, you can't do this or you will be looked at differently. Even if employers say that they don't, Oh, we ruled that out, blah, blah, blah. It's still engraved. I feel like. And it's just yeah, unwritten rule. Well, and I think the the word one of the words was unprofessional mm. that was used in the episode, which maybe we can talk about how we can change that as a culture. Yeah, and again, I go back to some of it transcends a race because some people would say any a male with long hair would be seen as unprofessional regardless of race, mm. but you add other layers like what was mentioned in the episode. Not just the word unprofessional, but mm. violent yeah. gets thrown in. I've never, ever, ever seen a white person, a white man who grew his hair a little bit long and someone mm. assumed that he was a violent person. I have heard them say that it looks unprofessional, mm. sloppy, etc., but never dangerous or violent. Right. So let's talk about how, I mean, what are the steps, in your opinion, 
so you know you're a few years into your professional career mm -hmm. when you're the boss so to speak i mean there's probably a better word to use than the boss but when you, <laughs> when you're when you are more of a person of influence mm. how do how do you change that um i think it starts with uh i think it starts way before that more so yeah. with like the way kids are raised yeah, more yeah. so to accept everyone but that's the easy cop out you know in corporate america it takes so long to change something you know yeah. and like um, I think working for for Duke Energy, they're a very progressive place, but still lack a lot. So, I mean, even if and, and it's not okay either to say, "Oh, this is a token hire to prove a point." You know, like um, I think that there still has to be merit in it and everything, and like being qualified for a job, but. Yeah, I think it just starts from maybe some inclusion classes, diversity, acceptance classes that are required. I mean, oh, I have yeah. to go through all these extenuously long trainings for like safety things and like cybersecurity. But if they would put, you know, some yeah. budget into, you know, inclusion and stuff and maybe open up that conversation more for open talks where workers, uh, employees, corporate people won't be penalized for sharing how they feel. Because I want to hear from both sides from it too, you know? Like, if my coworker says that me having long hair makes them uncomfortable, not saying any of them have, but, sure, sure. Um, like, I want to hear why you feel that way, you know? Because, I mean, that's more, that's important to me as well. So, I think it would start there really um with classes and trainings and just like opening up the conversation and even with and i know it's not the primary purpose of the of the show or anything but i think that as there are there are less and less there's less and less of a need to show separation of gender mm. if a woman with long hair is professional mm. or can be professional why wouldn't a man with long hair be able to be professional? This is 50 years ago, 100 years ago. That was probably a difficult thing to talk about. But yeah. now it just seems like, why would the length of your hair in any way display whether you are professional or not? Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's a helpful part of the conversation too because I, I just think that it's actually the way that you treat people Exactly. Should be should be the main filter. Yep. And then, of course, there's other ones such as productivity. I mean, that, sure. that obviously matters, too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, did you did you in any way connect with, um, you know, Kaepernick saying he grew up in small town with majority white people? Is that something? I mean, I, I know you've told me that many times, <laughs> but you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean... Um, because I originally was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is just a, one of, I think Fort Bragg's the biggest army base in America now. It's humongous. Yeah. But, um, so with that, army bases bring diversity. I mean, it doesn't matter what skin tone you are. Like, if you're in the military, you're probably going to get sent there at some point. So a lot of my classes that I, I was in in school, they were always diverse. I was never, ever only the black kid in my classes. And then I moved to Boone, North Carolina, never heard of it, uh, 
400 plus, maybe 500 in my graduating class, and I'm, only, I'm the only black guy, you know, like, that is such a culture shock from what I was used to, so unlike, like, Colin, when he said he came from a place that was like that and went to a place, I came from a place that was completely opposite and had to learn, like, I had to learn how to, like, I, I was only, like, 14 at the time, so I don't know who I am yet I honestly could say that today still but um still figuring it out but I definitely was just young and just like trying to have fun and then I like realized that I have to kind of dial back a little bit like my parents said to me when I was coming up here that there would be black kids I have never seen or not black kids there would be kids at your school that have never seen a black person in person. And I was like, there's no way. Like, there is no absolute way. Unless, like, and they're, like, unless they're, like, playing App State football or on TV. Like, that's the only probably black people they've seen, and they're 100% right. And I think the most disrespectful thing, and I hope that people really raise their kids to not do this, but the most disrespectful thing I think you can do to a black person person is ask them if you can feel their hair uh and having that happen to me so many times at Watauga it's just like it makes you uncomfortable like I don't come up to you and ask you to feel your hair like I don't care to feel your hair it's kind of gross but like you want to feel my hair because it's different than yours but that's not okay with probably 99.9 percent of black people I think it's an overstep, I think it's disrespectful, and it can definitely make you feel outcasted when they send you in a classroom, for sure. I would imagine it's accentuated by, especially when you are one black male out of four or 500 total students. Yep. Um, then it's like, you, you're the only one. Exactly. I guess it might be different if there's a lot of diversity and people are just wanting to learn from each other. But right. that goes back to the, I mean, the first theme, cornrows. It goes yeah. back to hair again. I want to circle back real quick. You said your parents told you to dial it back? No, no, no. They didn't tell me to. I more so saw that I had to. What, do you, what does that mean? Dial um, what back? So when I was a freshman, I moved here sophomore year of high school, but when I was a freshman, I mean, I was very loud, um, very uh, outgoing. Like, I think socially I was never held back at all. Like, I, and that also got me into trouble in Fayetteville because I talked too much. But, like, I knew that coming up here, once I got into the classroom, like, realizing that I knew, like, first of all, I'm the new kid. I don't know anyone. But also I realized, like, my personality kind of, took a step back because like I was in such a different environment where mm -hmm. I didn't feel comfortable so more so I had to figure out how can I be accepted into this new world and it started by dialing it back yeah um, I think as I grew there definitely by senior year there was like no dial back anymore because like I love the references to Allen Iverson in this because yeah. he really didn't care about anyone's opinion of what he was doing. He did it his way. Yeah. And I think I realized by my senior year, because 
there was a couple of my friends before me, um, uh, they're older than me in the upper class, but they're also black and they're like really good people to talk to because mm. we were all going through the same thing and just getting to talk to them. And when I noticed that they didn't care about what these kids thought of them, no matter what, like, cause no matter what, these kids are going to think the same thing. If you're acting the way they want you to, or the way that you, you don't care. So I just realized to the point, like, I don't have to impress anyone here. Wow. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't really care about what this person thinks of me. And in a small town like Boone, North Carolina, where everyone knows if you sneeze twice today, it is, it is unreal how much the parents were involved in the high school drama as the kids were. Really? Yeah, it, was, it seemed more so. Like a little story here, and I hope I find the mole from this podcast, but uh, in high school, my mom would know everything that I'm doing for some reason without me even saying it. Okay. And I couldn't figure out who it was. It was someone that she works with. Okay. But I can't figure out who this person is, but it's a small town thing. She'll never tell me, obviously. I, I've tried even, I'm what, almost eight years, seven years out of high school now. Uh, and I've tried to still get it out of her. She won't say anything. But um, <laughs> Come on, Mom. <laughs> I know, right? But it's, it's just that small town feel of that. So like if I did anything my parents knew immediately and the whole town also knew you know so and the fact of like I don't really care anymore about what you guys think of me like I don't have to care because one like being judged as a 16 year old looking back at that that is so messed up yeah because like one of the one of my basketball teammates his mom was horrible to me Mm. she told me that I was too loud and Raheem's always yelling too loud. I'm like, hey, we're playing basketball. I'm having fun. I'm sorry that you're not. You it know, it goes back to like what I was saying about the way you treat people. If you're talking about yelling, demeaning people, then exactly. that's valid. But that's probably not what she was talking never. about. Never. <laughs> and I would, yeah, I would never do that. First of all, in a right. basketball game, I was yeah. always like hyping up my teammates or yeah, just yeah. happy that I scored or something like that. But like, I'm 16 and you're judging me. And she's a very powerful woman in Boom. And like. Even to this day, like, even if I saw her in person, I'm sure we wouldn't say anything to each other. And that's totally fine. I forgave her a long time ago. But um, do you think that it's because you're black? A hundred percent. And she thought that her son was the golden child and uh, put like $10,000 into his jump shot alone. And obviously didn't make it. You mean like private coaching or yeah, something like that? Yeah, okay, he, yeah. He had like real trainers like training him like yeah. more than probably 10 grand. Yeah. And um, I mean, and the fact that me and my friend Cam, who was on the basketball team with me, were years better than him at basketball. He still got more minutes than both of us because his parents put in a lot of money into the program and he had the name mm. and you you can go back and look at the stats you'd be like how the heck was this guy getting any minutes at all you know right yeah so it's rough and i saw her actually um a couple maybe three weeks ago at app state football game and she totally ignored me and that's totally fine you know i have nothing to prove to her and right. i wish her the best in her life as I hope she wishes me the best, you know, so. But it's got to still sting. 
For sure, because looking back at it, I was 16. Yeah. Like, I'm a kid, and you yeah. are going out of your way to come and judge a 16-year-old. Like, let me figure it out. Let me be a kid. Let me have yeah. fun playing basketball. And for me, it's helpful if, I was, if I'm going to try to have, like, empathy. Mm. If I, when I, when did you move to Boone? Uh, How old were you? Oh, 14, 15. That's a big window of time. I mean, big age in your life. If I was 14 years old, if I moved to a different town I grew up in, and I was the only white guy in my entire class out of four or 500, Mm. if I switched it. Mm. And so I grew up playing, I mean, I played all the sports, but especially baseball. Mm -hmm. And if it was like, I don't know if we really want this guy on our team. And right. they said, and they said things that were kind of code for because he's white. Mm. It would be devastating. Yeah, I would feel like I couldn't be myself. Right. You know, I'm trying to, because I didn't go through what you went through, obviously, but I can imagine switching that and being like, man, if there were like 500 black people in my class, I was the only white guy. Maybe there was like one white girl or something. Mm. I would not even know if I could be myself or even I would barely even be able to figure out what that even means, I think. I've never even thought of that. Like thinking of that kid, if he had gone to one of my high schools in Fayetteville, he's not making the team. He's not even on the team. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, it's just different up here. But there's I, I saw it on your page probably you probably don't even remember this, but it was maybe in January of this year, maybe March area. But you posted something, and I've been looking for it for a while because I want to send it to a friend who's going through a pretty tough time right now. But it was about closure, and the closure being that that person treated you that way. Take that as closure and go. Oh, yeah. And I love that post so much. There's a lot more slides to it, but that part right there was like, whoa. Like The way she treated me when I was 16, that's my closure. Like I don't. She's already told you everything she ever needs to or will tell you. Exactly. About. Yeah. That's my closure, and I walked with that. And I've been at looking least for that you post know. for a long time. It's not good news, but yeah. at least that you know. That's your. That's all I needed to know. You know, like you don't have to go hard and like try and fix this or anything. Like I don't need to fix what a grown woman did to me when I was sixteen or treated me in a sense. Like that's and not there's my I, I feel two filtered layers of that. One is I don't in my opinion, I don't think it's the responsibility of the black community to educate the white community. But then mm-hmm. you go another layer is even separate separate from racial s- social structure, uh it's not the responsibility of one generation to educate the generation older than them. Mm. Even if you're not talking about race. A sixteen yeah. year old shouldn't have to be the one to fix a relationship with a 40-year-old. Right. <laughs> you know, no, it's the other way around. Exactly. 40-year-old needs to be the one to reconcile that. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen, that's on her. Yeah. That's, that's that not your responsibility, man. Yeah. If you saved that, please send that to me. Because I was looking for it the other I'll day. I'll try to I track it down. I, I remember it. what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't find it. What else stuck, stood out to you? Um, I think something, a happy thing that really stuck out to me is a beautiful thing that I missed so much as a kid was Saturdays at the barber shop with my dad. Like okay. I went every Saturday morning to get my hair cut. And it's just like, it's a feeling that I can't even explain. Like, my barber was Mr. Will, still a part of my life, still always will be probably. Like, he was um, an amazing human being. But, like, getting to go there and, like, you got guys playing pool, you got kids playing video games, you got 
music playing and just like talking. A, a little community moment centered around hair, but not just hair. Yeah, every Saturday. And it there's was hair again, man. Hair, hair yeah. bringing back. That's interesting to me. Yeah, it was. It's like a therapy session every Saturday, pretty much. Like you get to just go and talk and just like. Where? When was? The, how old are you? In oh, this story. I started going to that barber shop when I was probably about five until so I this left. So this is Fayetteville. Yeah, this is Fayetteville. And that's you didn't have that in Boone. Mm -mm. No, not at all. I would imagine you missed it and still miss it. A hundred percent. And in Charlotte, I I go to a barber that only has one seat and he's a great guy. And but it doesn't have the the big million things going on at once. Yeah, yeah. But he kind of got treated bad from the barber shop that he was at, so he went on his own path and opened up his own thing. So I mean, he's a great barber, and I'll probably go to him forever. But um, just having that community feel of like everyone's coming back together and you get to talk to them and you get to, they they care about where you're going in life. And like, if I were to go back to that barbershop today, they would remember everything about me. You know, Gosh. like that's such a cool feeling. Why, I wonder why, man, I, it's, I didn't plan on hair to be such a theme, even though that was the episode was yeah. called Cornrows. What do you think that is, man, in black culture? Because I don't resonate with that feeling. Yeah. I don't ever think I'm going to go get my hair cut and I can't wait to see so-and-so and hear how they're doing. And I yeah. want, I just like, look, I'm next in line here. Cut it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what I, is that? I don't know. It's just a, a very, a, it's such an unexplainable thing. Like I, I can't really put it to words what it is, but it's definitely a, a feeling. And like you kind of form in that barbershop, barbershop like a brotherhood and a sisterhood there okay and like it just like resonates like you know that joe's gonna come in with his white air forces every day and beat everyone in pool like he does every saturday morning (laughs) and you try to beat this man but he's just great and then you have this other guy he'll come in and sell like uh bootleg dvds to you and stuff like that that was when i was younger that was the thing like there was no netflix there was netflix but like it was a CD Netflix. You uh-huh. remember that? And, oh, um, I remember that. Yeah. And like this guy would come in and sell bootleg, like two for twenty type things. And like, <laughs> it was amazing. Like it. And at the time, I didn't realize how special that was and how important that was to me until I didn't, until you have, didn't it. have it. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to. And just getting to like hang out with my dad, and it really like helps you socially too, because like you talk about everything but hair when you're at a barbershop. Okay. You know, like world things going on like yeah. news what's happening in Fayetteville at the time what's coming up in someone's life like you name it like I got this crazy part in my hair there used to be a thing that kids would do like a double hairline uh-huh. so I did that and my barber did it for me my dad let me get it and at the end he was like why are you doing this you know like why are you doing that and I was like there's this guy that I played uh basketball with I was a peewee and he was on the JV team I looked up to him and everything that he did and yeah. he did it so I was like I that's pretty much it. why kids do stuff yeah. <laughs> I was like I wanted it because like he had it and it looked really cool and he was like well you're a good looking young man and you don't have to do that to look good and I was like wow that really that's what your barber said yeah I remember but that. of course he did it and yeah. celebrated yeah. it with you still but still it was like me. You don't need it. Yeah. To, yeah. Such an unexplainable thing. It, like, that scene is so true to, like, everyone's just a family in there. That's like, so you won't have any bad vibes at a barbershop. You're just hanging out. One thing I will say, though, if you see an empty barber chair, there's a reason for that. 
Yeah. If a barber's there, like, don't go to that guy because he's probably gonna mess your hair up. Yes. And I did. <laughs> and I did that a couple of times when I moved to Charlotte, and because I, I was just trying to get in quick, and I was like, oh man. When there's open chairs, there's a reason for the open chairs. <laughs> People build loyalty with your barber, and sure. you, you go to that barber every single time. Absolutely. So. That was a really cool part that I really liked. That that makes me think of in part of the theme of the entire series, in my opinion, is what Kaepernick's discussing is embracing his own blackness mm. and encouraging black people. I'm probably I'm assuming he's saying in particular Americans, but mm. um, to to embrace that and to love that. And to move past all of the propaganda that's been spoken about it being a negative thing. Yeah. So I think when you were talking about doing like um, keeping your hair nice and tidy at work, mm-hmm. it's like maybe the difference between you and me would be if I started in the same career, there might be this like, I mean, through the filter of race, there might be this like uh, assumption that I'm going to do a good job. Mm. And my hair might mess up that thought mm. if I were to grow it long. But the assumption is I'm probably going to do a good job. Right. And then if you filter it through blackmail right. is maybe that assumption isn't there. Yeah. So you're trying to compensate for the racism Yeah. where I wouldn't be having to compensate for that. And that's another thing with like tattoos as well. Like oh, I only sure. have tattoos where I can, you can only be seen Cover if I easily, want you to yeah. be seen. Mm-hmm. But like my parents were always like, do you want to get employed versus like do what you want, which isn't not a bad thing, not a great thing. But um, I realized that quickly, like if I had two sleeves on my arms, it's going to be a lot harder for me to get a job if I can't hide that, you know. So I think, yeah, just having to work a lot harder to get half is what. Yeah. of what someone might have and like I really like value the opportunity that I have right now and hopefully if I ever get to the next level I get to bring on more kids who I know who work hard and yeah. will thrive and flourish in the opportunity yeah. and like get to if they want to do that like experience corporate America too mm-hmm. I don't love corporate America by any means it's nothing I ever dreamed of but I mean, I realize the game that I have to play to change it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it hard for you to embrace your own culture when you don't have as much access to community? Like the Mm. Fayetteville Barbershop story. Is it harder for you to experience it and Mm. to embrace it and to live it and enjoy it? I think it definitely is harder to do that. But also there are a lot more black kids and um, teenagers, kids in their 20s, 30s, 40s, that um, are here too, that are going through the same thing. So building that community through like different organizations that put in that work to do like black meetups and like, you know, things like that, I think that's so important, especially because a lot of these black kids here right now didn't grow up here. You know, so versus like my little sister who has went to Blowing Rock from K through eighth and will finish at Watauga, who's been here her whole life, like she even sees it and yearns for 
community, but she's never even had that. She didn't versus have our the family. barbershop ever. She'll ne- yeah, she'll never have that, you know, and and well, not 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 in her childhood, right? And the closest thing she gets to that is like Thanksgiving time, Christmas time, or like summertime when our family comes here, and it's a community again to us. Like it feels really good, but I think even in Charlotte, not having that strong like community which I got from church a lot that I got that I went to but I think it's so important because you can really dive into yourself a little more without having to have this guard up of like I don't want to scare anyone but I also don't want to you know like pose as somebody that I'm not but Mm -hmm. like having the the guard taken down you be yourself and like have fun. It's important. There's something really interesting about that with when it comes to culture and even skin color. I like being around lots of different types of people. Right. Faith, different faiths, different ethnicities, even languages. However, I do have a certain culture that feels like the one that I'm most at ease with. Mm. And I can't really put into words what if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's important for someone to figure that out, though, you know, like knowing that, but also pushing that those limits, too, is what you're saying as don't just stay in that all the time. Yeah, exactly. Which I wouldn't, which I with the diverse group of friends that I have, like from religion to, um, you know, like sexual orientation to uh, race, it's all differs in. I hope that, like, the mark that I leave with them is, like, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you've been through, like, you got love here. You'll always have love here. And, like, I think with a lot of my friends who are coming up right now in college and, like, me remembering what college was like, um, like, can often feel like they're outcasted or, like, failing, you know? And I think college is a good time to fail, you know, like, and learn from the failure, like, so I think having that, like, at ease community is great, it's great to figure yourself out there, too, and, like, lean on those people when you might be going through a failure that you don't really know how to navigate, but also that diverse group will hopefully become the at ease thing for you as well as you grow with them, because, Everyone has a different opinion, not meaning you have to take everyone's, but seeing someone else's viewpoint from a different stance is a beautiful thing. Do you want, for the next season of your life, do you want to be back at the barbershop? Mm. I don't literally mean that one in Fayetteville. Right. Necessarily. I mean, it would, it would definitely be nice to... But I think that I have gained a lot from it that I can exemplify that in my life and find that in different areas. But for my kids one day, 100%. Yeah, that's what I was really getting to later yeah. too. It's like if you end up with children, do you want them to have that? Yeah, that would be amazing because you get to learn so much just by like, I didn't even speak that much unless I was like spoken to, but just hearing like, my dad and his friends hanging out and yeah. talking and just like different world point views. Like, but that's chi- what you're describing is I, well, in my opinion, 
children when yeah. they're around a whole community, including adults, you don't talk unless they ask you. Yeah. To, you just listen to the grown-ups talk. They right? ask you how your day at school was, and you're like, it was good. How did your basketball game go? We won. And then you just sit and, and listen. And then you listen to them. Yeah, and then you're just hanging out, and you're just a fly on the wall. But that's how you grow and learn yeah. what it means to be an adult. I agree. Yeah, so definitely, I wouldn't mind it in my life. Um, but I think I've learned so much from it that I can take carry that out within my life now but yeah definitely for my if i have kids for sure they will have to even on the other side for women who don't go to barbers i mean salons as well there's yeah i I didn't i've been a salon one time with my mom and i will never go back again because we sat there for like four or five hours which is different from the barbershop because barbershop you get a haircut long as you're waiting is an hour and you're gone like, you're talking the whole time, but you're gone. Salons are a whole thing. Like, they got to sit in the chair, then they got to get their hair dried, then they got to do this, that, that, that. <laughs> and it, it's so long, so I'll never do it again. But I'm sure I'm ignorant to what that is like because I didn't get to grow up in that side of it, even though the barbershop that I was in had a salon on the other side. But it's the same type of community, same way over them, that end as well of salons. So if I had daughters, I mean, I would love for them to... Mm-hmm. go through that as well so well i'm just looking at my notes that i jotted down i didn't know if there was other stuff that any scenes from the first episode that that we should talk through um i think another part that i really liked was when they were talking about um the um dj dj yeah I, yeah I, his name is clyde but um i think the importance of education on immigrant parents and yeah. that part really stuck out to me because my parents were immigrants and education is the first and foremost thing right to this day for them like that's your way to getting a job or success in their eyes like, yes my parents were like if you don't go to college we're kicking you out and i was like well i'm going to leave anyway but um uh <laughs> college was never like an option for me it was always college, like you're going to college. like, uh-huh. And it was just them trying to set up a future for me. Yeah. Even though at the end of high school, I was like, there's no way I can do four more years of this. Yeah. Like there's no way I can do it. But I realize now I really don't know what I would be doing right now if I didn't go to school because I, I have no clue what opportunities would have opened up. Yeah, it's up. not to say that. It's not possible. There's right. plenty of people that really thrive, but exactly. from their experience as immigrants, you can understand why they emphasize it so much. Yep. yep. I, I wrote down something similar. It actually wasn't based on um, people immigrating here, mm-hmm. but it was. I loved how not just this episode, but the entire Colin and Black and White series emphasizes and tells stories of basically awesome innovations and breakthroughs that black people brought yeah in this culture because if you look at the history books that well i mean i'm a lot older than you but the history books that i grew up reading um it was almost all white people yeah watauga's not talking about hip-hop and well i didn't grow up in watauga but yeah 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 but yeah i uh but yeah you grew up with probably not getting a whole bunch in the history books Mm -hmm. and and uh the the way that i kind of have heard people describe and pretty much how I feel about my upbringing was American history uh, 
did not involve very many black people in the history books. Mm. And it was like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, but Malcolm X was kind of mean. So really just Martin Luther King. Right. And that was it. But they still killed him. You know? And they killed him. Right. <laughs> yes. And then as opposed to what you're seeing and what I, what I love, uh, plenty of other documentaries that are on Netflix and other platforms as well, but focusing on this uh, Colin and Black and White series, innovations, breakthroughs, historical figures, people who invented things that we all use and know about now mm. that didn't make those history books because, um, I mean, my goodness, some of these people, they didn't even have on paper, like legally, even the same rights and citizenship. So they right. were very purposefully marginalized and overlooked and on uh, very much on purpose. Yeah. And if you take, like you said, hip hop, I mean, it's an entire thriving genre of music. But when you layer it with uh, words like thug, mm. then it's a whole genre that can have a racist layer of that means it's violent and it's criminal. And all you have to do is anecdotally find a couple songs yep. that are like that to somehow prove the point. Exactly. As a, You don't hear people doing that with country music. No, some of that stuff is not good. Yeah. Like some of the messages, I mean, sure, I'm not trying to blame the whole genre. I know there's positive messages of country too. Right. Not my thing, but I mean, I'm not yeah. against it. But yeah. Uh, but I don't hear people saying, oh, here's this, here's this song and it demonstrates violence. Therefore, right. they're a bunch of thugs or something like that. Unless it goes from the norm of what country is. So like, people are trying to pave a new path because you'll right. see that in hip-hop too like yeah yeah my stepdad what he would play in the car is like he didn't realize this but like <laughs> i love 90s hip-hop so much because of him okay and like the other day i was djing a wedding and this white man came up to me and asked me to play uh the far side uh -huh. he was like oh you don't know who the far side is he was talking to me i was uh -huh. like no, I do, and I love that you know who the far side is. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. like, my stepdad raised me on that. Like, yeah. when I was in the car, that's all I heard. But now if my stepdad heard modern-day hip-hop, he might not love it as much. Okay, sure. As, but, um, so it all depends on, like, the culture and, like, what you what your ear is for. But, yeah, for sure, there's already a flag on, like, hip-hop in itself. Like, the culture that comes with that like the thug label or uh -huh. the gangster the, yeah in, in a gang culture type thing but i mean that's also really not true because i mean mm -hmm. there's a lot of hip-hop like j cole who mm -hmm. is one of my favorite and like you won't hear him the only thing he's talking about is how he's from Fayetteville too which is why oh. i love him so much but um talking about how like if he had never left Fayetteville he would have never had this opportunity because he would have gotten to gain culture and probably wouldn't have lived past 27. You know, and wow. that's such a true thing. Looking back at it, I I know that college was always something that I had to do. But if I had never left Fayetteville, it's, it's hard because I have friends that still are in Fayetteville and will never leave it and they're caught up in bad things and mm -hmm. they don't have a way out like I did, like my parents were able to move me and move here but they don't have that opportunity so yeah it's a hard it's a very it's hard complicated dynamic. isn't it but they have the barbershop yeah they do they, so do, they got for sure. community but they might not have as many opportunities and yeah. of course there are probably thousands of fantastic people in Fayetteville it's yeah no 100%. but I get your point you're kind of leaning into some of the the 
the negative stuff that he avoided. The opportunity isn't really there. It, it's either you're you're gonna find trouble or trouble will find you there in a sense. And it's gotten way worse since I've left. And really? It's grown to like the top ten worst city to raise children in. I yeah. saw in a poll the other day. And that that really it it sucks because there isn't much to do there. But when I got here there was even less to do. But when you have that influx of kids from all different backgrounds, you just throw them into a pot and then you don't give them outlets of things like There'd be curfews on the mall. If you're under 18, you can't be there at past eight. You would never see that in Boone. And like, it's because like, it, it's dangerous for kids. Like they want to protect you, but they also don't give you an alternate of like, hey, here's a new gym that you can go to and play basketball. Yeah. And that's another like barbershop-esque type place because you see the same people and you build relationships and it's a community. But mm -hmm. yeah, Fayetteville, I love it. I love it to death, but... I wish that some of my friends there could have op the opportunity mm -hmm. and like maybe me getting into power at it, Duke Energy gives them that because I would love yeah. to. Yeah. Because I know they're hard workers. I know they aspire to be bigger than where they're at. So how do we do that? You know? Yeah. Uh, can we talk briefly about microaggression? Mm. This episode has a little bit of that. I think it, it builds more as the series, more episodes. But For sure. Um, I know that you even, you, I think it was on Instagram or maybe just texting, you talked about how you experienced that. Yeah. Uh, but I, meant, I, I noticed the mom, uh, the actress portraying Colin Kaepernick's mom in the first episode, she said, uh, what was it? It was like, what do your coaches? What do you think your coach is going to think about your hair like that? Mm. Is that a microaggression? A hundred percent. Because she is pretty much speaking for them. Yeah. You know, she has She's already. She's trying made to her basically opinion. say, "I don't think you should do that." Yeah. But asking but you... it in a roundabout way. And even the coach saying, "What's going on with Kaepernick's hair? Like, mm -hmm. what's wrong with a fourteen-year-old's hair? Why? Why are you?" Worried about a 14-year-old's hair. And a rule, and whatever rule that wasn't even, that didn't exist, that yeah. all of a sudden existed, that, yeah. I guess that would be another microaggression. It wasn't saying, it wasn't a directly racist statement with specifically racist words. Right. It's a micro roundabout way of do, doing the same thing, right? Hence dress code in the NBA. That came yeah, about. the same. That's another one. Yeah, with yeah. the short length and the baggy shorts. Or yeah, because like Allen Iverson doesn't care and doesn't, which I love. Like he was, in his own realm, like the fashion guy. Like he wore whatever he wanted in his mm -hmm. early two thousands, and that was the trend: baggy T-shirt, hat to the side. And then the NBA was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're showing too much culture. Dial it back. Suits only. Shirt tie. Like." Blah blah. Thank God they they relieve that now, and yeah. they give players freedom to wear what they want. Like, can you imagine like not being able to wear what you want to wear? No, it's not okay. I think it goes back to. I mean, there. Sometimes at, at when I teach class at App, sometimes they'll be like, you know, what's the dress code for when we do give our speeches? Mm. And I'm like, um, whatever the laws of the state are, or the town, mm. or the school. Like, obviously, I mean, like. 
public nudity is probably against the law. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Is. But like, it's. I think it goes back to some of these same sentiments of like wearing a certain thing evokes certain thoughts of being unprofessional or not being worth being listened to. Yeah. I mean, there's. I guess there should be some level of dress code because of public nudity. Yeah. <laughs> should be. But no, like, I agree. other than that, just yeah. Yeah, that was a huge microaggression in the NBA, and. I didn't even remember that because I was very young when Allen Iverson was playing. But, um, yeah, seeing it now, I, I definitely understand what the NBA was trying to do. They're like, oh, you're great at basketball. You're selling out stadiums. You're box office. But whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be too black. Don't. That, and I think that's part of the, what happens in some of these other episodes. And I, from what I understand, just from social media and trying to listen, it seems like even any sentiment that acting black in any way mm. is bad is still uh, advancing racism. Right. And of course, every, any and every culture has negative aspects to it. Pick whatever we were saying, country music, any, any, any race, any gender, any ethnicity, any language, any co- country, culture, anything. Of course, there are dark sides of every human right. people group. But to say just like acting black, right? if that means anything bad, that's a, it's advancing, it's continuing racism. When the mom asked, remember she went up to the two people on the bench that she works with, so they knew her. Mm-hmm. She was asking like how to get, how to help Colin get his uh, cornrows done better. Right. Like better quality than like from a friend. Yeah. I didn't see it as racist that she asked them because she didn't understand it, and it's specifically related to a hair uh, texture that she doesn't understand. Right. But then she said to the guy, you like basketball, right? Mm. I, I, I think of that as a microaggression. For sure. Is that, but, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think that it was racist that she asked them about how to get, where to get cornrows done for her son? No, and I, and I don't think that was... They probably didn't even take it that way because I think black people have a great radar for people who are being microaggressive and who aren't. Just from like, even if like me knowing you and say you adopted a black boy and you're asking me like where to get his haircut done, I'd be honored to tell you that because I know you and I know your heart. Mm -hmm. So I hope that like she had that relationship built with her coworkers to say that. But the fact that and even her saying, like, you like basketball, right? Maybe, like, she knows this guy and kind of knows that he likes basketball because uh, he talks about it. The look on his face but, was not that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a microaggression for sure. Like, you like this, you like that. You like hip-hop, right? Like, even if you're black, you don't have to like hip-hop. You can like country. There's, oh, yeah. You know, like, it's up to you what you want to do, but you're a human being first, and, like, assumptions of any kind are, you'll make an ass out of you and me. That's because, right, yeah. like like you can't that that was definitely microaggressive but i think asking about the hair wasn't because one day or like when we were younger my mom had a friend who adopted uh mixed kids and she would bring them over and she would ask her if she would do their hair for them cuz she didn't know how so then like one day she asked like can you teach me how to do their hair too and my mom loved that like yeah. she was like of course i'll teach you like Cause like these are your kids, like you want to be able to do their hair and everything, and like take care of them the best that you can. And like, I think she, there's definitely 
like uh, I would be honored like to teach someone who's like trying to figure it out. And even on the racial side of that, like I had been invited to so many classrooms of like kids here in Watauga County to come and talk to your class and like open up conversations and dialogue. And I, I would love to. I don't view that as you being like. How is racist. that different? Or better than someone's asking if they can touch your hair. Mm. So I think it's different because you're asking me to express myself in Mm -hmm. my opinionated way of how I viewed things growing up and how I think things can get better for, and it starts with these little fourth graders you know that's very true because like they're the future no matter what like they're the future generation coming up but also I think it can be that question is so degrading to me is like hey can I like pet you pretty much there we go maybe that yeah yeah and treat you like a like a product of some kind or like some foreign object right like instead of like Knowing you and dialoguing and listening, yeah. Exactly. It's like animalistic in a sense of like, if uh-huh. I see a dog that has like super curly hair, like, oh, I want to go pet that dog. Like, he looks soft. And then you're kind of viewing me in that sense. Like, like Scarlet yeah, laying next it, to you right now. <laughs> exactly. Like, you look soft. But now that you have different uh, aspects to yourself than, than I do, can I come and pet your hair? Yeah, I, I've never thought of it that the, way until I just said that. Honestly. Yeah, the petting. I think saying the word "pet." Yeah, really shows the point. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Man, I, I can, I can. I'll just be honest. I can think of not. I never asked to pet someone's hair, but I can think of them a hundred times in my upbringing, like especially high school, college, mm-hmm. where I saw a black person with a distinct hairstyle, and mm-hmm. I went out of my way to tell them that I liked it Mm. and I thought I was doing something good but it probably wasn't helping yeah I didn't say can I pet your hair yeah but I but it's like I noticed it and I would comment yeah and the Mint Museum in Charlotte right in Uptown did this exhibit uh with high schoolers and um uh it was them and uh they like cut a piece of their hair off and they put it in a little plastic bag and they had it across this table and it said no, you cannot touch my hair. And it was just their hair like in these bags. And I was like, wow, that is, that was powerful. I hope they still have that up because I was like, uh, and I went on Wednesdays, they do like this like thing where they'll have like open bar and you can go. And um, at the time I was working at Topgolf and I went with a few of my coworkers who like grew up in like Denver, North Carolina, which is pretty much Boone. And um, mm-hmm. in the sense of demographics, mm-hmm. and like they didn't understand like why that was such a big deal, and I was like, this is like huge, like that you can feel like such an outcast when someone says, "Yo, can I can I touch your hair? Do you mind if I touch your hair?" Like, yeah, I mind. I don't go up to anyone else and say, "Yo, you mind if I touch your hair?" Mm-hmm. Why do you want to touch my hair? It's just because it's different. I th- yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't feel that way if it was me. Right, but. I think that if the history of this country mm. and my uh, skin color people were enslaved, degraded, marginalized, oppressed, mm. then it w- I might feel different. Right. But if I would, if uh, again I reversed it and I was the only white guy in my graduating class of five hundred, and somebody went, "Can I feel your hair?" I wouldn't be like, "No, you can't feel my hair." Right. But it's because I wouldn't have grown up with 
no, you know what I'm saying? It wouldn't have, my uh, demographic hasn't been uh, oppressed. Right. So maybe that's what makes it that petting. I wouldn't feel like, oh, you're treating me like an animal. Because, mm. I mean, the history of black people in America, black people have been literally treated like animals. Yeah. And so there's that background behind it. Very true. What are we missing from the episode that you wanted to point out? Or I, did you have anything else? I think that was all All that I wrote down. Uh, the closing of the episode, when Colin says, well, I can't remember what he says before it, but he says, now I know how, mm. and I will. Yeah. You know, I, I've been following him for years, and I know he he's... a one of many resources educating people of like rights, mm. uh, yeah. what to do, you know, in certain situations. And, but do you feel like you're more equipped now to try to create a better future than you were 10 years ago? For sure. I am now. And I think he was, he was like, I didn't know how to fight back with his parents telling him to cut his hair and everything because yeah, he was yeah. unprofessional and he looked like right. a thug. And right, right. He wasn't weaponized for that, but now he is, and now yeah. he knows how to fight back. And I think 10 years ago, for sure, I'm far more educated, but showing, watching the series with my little sister and my little cousins, I'm so glad that they get to learn it younger, you yeah. know, like get to learn their rights to do, like express themselves. They want it the way that they want to express themselves. Um, now, you know, like from afar, I don't, I talk to my little sister about this often about like racial issues and things that she's going through at high school. But I also just watch sometimes like things that she posts and like not really say anything and like allowing her to figure it out too. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, I won't be there all the time. And, um, like, her saying, like, oh, you guys call me one of the good kinds. Like, calling out her friends on her Instagram saying, like, this is so disrespectful and I hate that you do this to me. Mm-hmm. I hate when you say I don't act black. I hate when you say I'm a good black person. Like, she's weaponizing herself now to say, like, hey, this isn't okay. And, like, I want to be treated differently. This yeah. isn't okay with me. And I'm sure her friends see that and they... Strong. Yeah, and they're going to change. And she's 15. Yeah, 14. 14. She's about to be 15. I can't believe and, that. Honestly. And standing up for herself. Yeah, which is so... It's beautiful to see because this next generation coming up clearly demands the, uh, what's the word? accountability. Yeah. And they're going to hold you accountable. And that's very important. And... um it's like no other way now. Like, it's a revolution of accountability now and transparency, and I think that's so important. So, like, back to your question of like, I am far more weaponized and able to stand up for myself today than I was ten years ago because I think I was afraid ten years ago. Like, I knew what you were saying to me was wrong. I knew that me being treated this way was wrong, but I didn't know how. To one, express myself in the sense of saying that you were treating me badly. I would just like kind of pull that in, but also like didn't know if I were allowed to address it. Because when we did, nothing would happen. Like me getting called 
the N-word, hard R, by this kid on my team in soccer practice, literally on my team, uh, and nothing happened to him, you know? like, And then I got into my parents' car later that day, and I just broke down. Like, I had mm-hmm. so much rage and anger inside of me that I just cried for, like, 30 minutes, and I was just, like, so hurt. But, like... I wasn't weaponized and I didn't know what to do. Like all it did was spark rage and in me and like my teammates had to hold me back, which I wish they didn't. But like, I see that kid today and like, it's hard for me to still forgive that kid. You know, mm-hmm. like I saw him probably a couple weeks ago and I just, it's hard for me still to like forgive that kid. And I know that forgiveness is more so for me, but yeah, it's definitely hard. But now that I'm older and, more weaponized to defend myself like I wish he would say that to me today you know like that wouldn't fly for a second and like it was hard then because he wasn't held accountable for what he did to me and nor was a coach who didn't do anything he just kind of swept under the rug and we just kept on playing soccer you know so that was tough But I'm so proud of the next generation of holding people accountable and holding their fellow students accountable. I see that a lot from afar as well on like social media and like kids who say some outlandish things. And like the other day with the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict thing and like seeing a lot of these kids like saying like, hey, if this were a black kid who crossed state lines with the AR-15, literally looking for trouble, he wouldn't have probably made it to trial. You know, like, he would have shot dead. Sniper killed him when he was doing it. Exactly. So, like, people in support of him, it's one of those things that I love that you say, if you're racist, just say that. (laughs) (laughs) If you're racist, just say that. Just tell me that, because... I prefer that, to be honest. I prefer you tell me that than you be a closet, like, mm-hmm. racist and, like, try and hide that and then, like, put on a face to be outward towards me and other human beings who don't look like you. But if you're like that, just say that. I'll block you. We move on. We're good. Like, that's fine. Just say that. I rather, I, and I bet 100% of black people would rather you tell them than try and hide it. Doesn't and make better it right. than microaggression or lying, you know, making it seem like it's something else. That's the worst. That is the worst for sure, because especially growing up, like, and then you look back at it and you're like, wow, that was super not okay. And like, well, that hurts me to hear. But like, you saying outward to me, hey, that blah, blah, blah. All right. You're racist. We're good. I don't have to associate with you. Like, and even to the point, like, to some people that were in my life, like I would even try to educate them, and then if it didn't, it didn't, and then we, I move on with my life. I hope that one day you come to your senses. So, you, if if you had those moments, oh, for sure, mm. of more ignorance versus racism, but like ignorance to the point of like people saying things that aren't okay, and they, I hope, genuinely didn't know, was not okay to say. Um, like someone calling me colored in high school, like 
like, you know, don't do that. Don't say that. That's not okay. And they didn't know. Like, they were genuinely, like, they didn't know it wasn't okay. Like, I had a teacher say colored in my, like, civics class. And I was like, yeah, like, it's not okay. Or, like, teachers microaggressively would say, like, um, like, we were talking about diabetes in a science class for some reason. And um, he would, like, look at me and say, diabetes is very high in the black community. And, like, yeah, that's a fact. But also, it's high in human beings. So, like, why, why you got to look at me when you say it? Why are you singling me out, man? <laughs> still a teacher at the high school. Still coaches my little sister. I saw him the other day. but So maybe, because, I mean, even if that is statistically the case, maybe a, a healthier way to do it would be, uh, well, first of all, to not look at you, but but also to break down and say, let's not just talk about that one demographic. If yeah. we're going to talk about diabetes, let's just say uh, between the ages of this and this, it's higher percentage. Sure. In this gender, it's higher percentage. In right. this ethnicity, it's higher percentage. Instead of just like, I'm going to point out one thing to the one guy. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, exactly. <laughs> and at that time, I wasn't weaponized. I was just sitting at the back and I was just like, whoa. Well, you were a kid, man. Yeah, I was like, I don't know how to react. But now you're, but your sister's a kid and she's learning it already. Yeah, exactly. And she's definitely far braver than I was at that age and is not taking that. And part of it's, I think there's a shift happening, Mm. but then part of it too is, I mean, she's got you as an older brother that's teaching her too. I mean, it's both and it's the, the, I think our culture is teaching her, but, and and also you. And another thing I love, there are some great teachers at that school Mm. now that have always listened, but more that are starting to. So, like, the, it starts so young. Like, I have a friend who's a teacher at Mabel, and um, she was saying it's a, a fairly liberal teacher base, which is shocking to me. Mm-hmm. But she is the epitome of what I want my kid to be taught by one day. Like, she is so great. But there's also the other end of kids who went to high, I went to high school with that are teachers now, and I'm like, oh, man, I hope my kid never has to be taught by them or my sister ever has to be taught by them because like that's horrific. but in reality the answer is you're gonna have your kids are gonna have both kind of teachers right, right right but just to see like like the teacher um which i think you did a you did a podcast with her stepmom she's a nurse um it was about masks and covid and everything i don't know if you're Tracy Parrish, the doctor? Yeah, yeah, it was Maddie Parrish who oh, got yeah. married. Um, yeah, she just got married just Saturday. Yeah, I yeah. got to DJ her Oh, wedding. cool. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> but, um, like, she is the epitome of what I want my kid to be taught by. That is such a great human being. Mm-hmm. Just even outside of a classroom, just if my kids could be around her as a human being would be a blessing in itself. But also, like, the fact that she has... America's next generation and she gets to teach them you know like that is so huge to me even if they're just in second grade like they're going to remember her forever I'm sure because like oh, yeah. I remember great teachers from when K through 12 and you it's know? needed everywhere but it's especially needed in the Appalachian Mountains man. oh yeah and it's such a and I know she doesn't get compensated half as much as she should for sure. the work that which she that's does. a whole we should do a whole podcast about teachers too yeah because <laughs> they deserve the world because yeah. they I can't imagine what they go through and deal with on a daily basis. And you're held accountable for these marks that you have to meet for test scores and like, you know, success rates. But like, 
She kills it, and she I never heard her complain about being a teacher. You know, like she loves it, and like that's an amazing thing. Like, mm -hmm. so there there's definitely some hope in the Appalachian Mountains for people like her who become teachers and make me very happy. So that was really helpful, wasn't it? It was helpful for me. I hope it was for you. So here's what you can do. You can go ahead and watch season one, episode two. I think Netflix confirmed that they're going to be doing a second season, but go ahead and watch the whole thing. Watch the whole series, or at the very least, watch episode two to get ready for when Raheem and I have another conversation in response to episode two. But thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been helpful for you. I know it was for me. Uh, hey, thank you to a bunch of you out there that are supporters of this podcast. Uh, whether it be a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever it is, you are helping to keep this thing going. Thank you so much for supporting Things About Things. You are my patrons, the, the patrons that make my work continue. Thank you so much. And if you have not yet made the decision to become a patron and you're like, you know what, I've been listening for a while. I feel like I've grown. I've, I've learned some stuff and, and I do want to give a, a dollar a month or whatever it is. You can go to patreon.com slash things about things and you can choose whatever tier of support you want and you get little fun rewards and prizes and stuff like that and I mail you little things and some behind the scenes audio that you'd have access to you go to patreon.com slash things about things p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash things about things choose whatever tier you want and yeah thank you so you can go to patreon.com slash things about things and as always you can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things